Welcome back to Balagan. I'm Kobe Cohen. Just the way he lived, Menachem Begin, Israel's sixth prime minister, was buried in a modest, simple, and traditional Jewish ceremony on March 9th of 1992. Begin, the first prime minister who did not come from the Labour Party, was also the most Jewish prime minister, who did not try to shy the new Zionist Jew image that the Labour was trying to embed in Israel, but embraced a strong Jewish essence and let his Jewishness be his lighthouse. With our guest, we will hear more about who was Israel's sixth prime minister. What path did he took leading the Irgun, forming Herut and then the Likud party, and what milestones he left behind? Our guest today is Dr. Avi Shilon, a political scientist and historian at New York University and Rutgers University, and the author of Menachem Begin, A Life, Menachem Begin's biography. So welcome, Avi, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Kobe. I'm very happy to be here. So tell us a little bit first thing about you and how did you get to write about Menachem Begin, and then we'll dive deep uh, to hear about Begin himself. Sure. So uh, first of all, uh, I am currently a visiting scholar at NYU. Uh, my main field of expertise is Israel studies. My major work was writing to the biography of Begin, which was published a few years ago by Yale University Press. But I also wrote about Ben-Gurion. I had written a, a book about his later years. In Hebrew, it's Ben-Gurion Epilogue. In English, it's Ben-Gurion in the Political Wilderness. And my latest book was about the decline of the left wing in Israel. It is based on Yossi Balin's archive. And my PhD thesis also dealt with the revisionist party, which Begin was, if we put it mildly, really involved in it. It's about the attitude of the leaders, of the revisionist leaders toward the Jewish religion. And I'm also writing from time to time open article to Aretz. So this is in short about myself. Thank you. And now tell us a little bit about uh, Begin himself. I mean, what was his background? We knew that he was born in Poland, right? Yeah. And I'm half Polish and half Kurdish. I could see his <laughs> Polish side really strong. I think that every Israeli could see how he kept his profile as he wasn't shying away from his uh, heritage. Let's call it this way. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, you're half Polish and half Kurdish. I am from uh, Iraqi origin. And I came from a very Zionist uh, family, so I didn't think uh, about the issue of Mizrahim and Ashkenazim when I wrote the biography, until suddenly, a few years ago, someone asked me, what is in common between Begin, Bailing, and Ben-Gurion? So I told him, all of them were very interesting leaders. And he said, no, all of them were Ashkenazim, why you should write about Ashkenazim? So I didn't notice it, but lately my Mizrahi identity got stronger and stronger. And now when I look about on Begin, I can say that most definitely was very, very Polish. Not only him, the people of the Irgun, also the people of the Stern Gang. And Begin was Polish in two main aspects. The first is personal. You can see his attitude. He used to kiss the hands of the women in order to show respect, of course. 
his gestures were very much Polish gestures, but he was also influenced by the Polish nationalism. Yeah, you can see a lot of similarities between his Zionist nationalistic attitude to the Polish attitude. And by that, you can say that Begin was really a product of the Polish culture. Growing up in Polish, what made him such a nationalist? Eventually, he went to Beitar, and over there, he also met Jabotinsky, of course, who was the leader of Beitar. Then he became his assistant. What can you tell us about it? How did he get involved in Zionist initiatives? Well, first of all, Begin was unique with uh, respect to leaders from his generation in that he did not need to rebel against his father. I mean, many of the Zionist leaders at that time came from a religious families and they rebelled and wanted to join the secular Zionist revolution. Begin was born and raised by a father who, from the beginning, from the get-go, mixed nationalism and some kind of Jewish traditionalism. And this was, let's say, Begin's Zionism was, in contrast to Ben-Gurion's Zionism, was not a revolution, was not a new period in the Jewish history, but a continuation, a modern continuation of the Jewish tradition or Jewish religion, religious history. And actually, his father sent him to a Shomer Atzair organization because when he was <laughs> at that time, there was no other Zionist organization. But at the age of 16, Begin went to listen to Jabotinsky's lecture. And he said immediately, I was captivated by this speech. And he started to see Jabotinsky himself as a person, but also Jabotinsky's ideology as the right one for the Zionist enterprise. In his youth, he suffered from anti-Semitic incidents. Once someone tried to push a pork on his lips and begging never forget it. And slowly, slowly, he found himself at a very important position in Beitar. Beitar is the youth organization of the Revisionist Party. He became one of the commander of Beitar in Poland. He was known mainly by his great speeches. He knew how to inflame the crowd. And later on, although he started as a follower of Jabotinsky and he admired him, he also found himself in a political dispute with Jabotinsky, and I can elaborate on it later. So he became real activist. Then he immigrated to British Palestine, what was called at that time. So he brought his Beitar activities from Poland to Israel or to British Palestine? How did that work? Because if I remember correctly, first he served in the Polish army, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, Begin, as we said, started as a follower of Jabotinsky. But during the late 30s, when Jabotinsky kept believing with the cooperation with the British, Begin took a different stance. He was part of the radical fraction of uh, the revisionists. He was influenced by Abba Khimeir, those guys who 
establish the first underground militia in Palestine against the British. He didn't join them. He wanted to remain in the revisionist party and to accept Jabotinsky's authority. But he thought that uh, Zionism should move into a new stage, the military stage, which means we need to rebel and not against the British and not only waiting to establish a Jewish state by cooperation. Which was the main agenda that uh, was led by David Ben-Gurion, who said, we're going to fight. Um, no, later on, he said that, no, that this, he's going to fight. Later on. This, this yeah, later this, was on. La- this was later on. I'm, uh, I'm mixing uh, errors. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. But, you know, it was complicated. So now I'm, I'm speaking about the era of before the beginning of yeah. World War Two, when, as we said, he got into an argument with Jabotinsky, who wanted to continue with the diplomatic path of Zionism. Begin wanted to switch into the military phase of Zionism, but eventually accepted Jabotinsky's path. When World War II broke out, Begin and other revisionist leaders escaped from Poland to Lita. Yeah. Then he was arrested by the Soviets. They blamed him that uh, he was part of the Zionist activities. And Zionism was uh, seen by the Soviets, by the Russians, as an illegal activity because it was nationalism, Jewish nationalism was in contradiction to the communist revolution. And they put him in jail. I think that he was supposed to be eight years in the Soviet jail. But when World War II broke out, he was recruited to the Polish army which was actually Andres' army. And as a soldier, as a Polish soldier, he came to the land of Israel or to Palestine with this Polish army unit, Andres' army. And then his friends expected him to leave the army and to join the Irgun, the revisionist underground militia in Palestine. But Begin was dignity and respect and to honor your surrounding was something very important to begging. It actually was based on the Adar idea of Jabotinsky. Adar is like splendor. Which yeah, Hadar Beitari. Yes, we Hadar call it in Hebrew. Yeah, exactly. In short, the principles of the Adar was to stand on your rights, to be polite, to know how to respect women, gender equality, but also to be aggressive when needed to stick to your national principle. And Begin said to his followers, to his friends, I'm not going to leave the Polish army until I will do it legally. So they started to try to arrange some legal request for Begin. And eventually he left the Andres army only after he got the official letter that he can take a leave from the army. And now we are talking about 41, actually. And a few weeks after his release from the army, he joined the Irgun. Now, the Irgun at that time was in a crucial moment because it was in a crisis. The crisis was because the Irgun, when World War II broke out, adopted begging age. Also, Jabotinsky and Ben-Gurion's policy that we are not going to fight the British, the British as long as they fought the Nazis. Yeah. 
But when Begin joined the Irgun and became the commander of the Irgun, and by the way, it wasn't an easy process. There were a lot of objections to the appointment of Begin to the head of the Irgun, mainly because some of the Etzel, the Irgun headquarters, some of the people from the headquarters said that Begin came from a foreign state, is not really engaged or accustomed to the Eretz Israel culture. And they saw him as someone who is not ready enough to take the control of the Irgun. But on the other side, Begin had the advantage of being like the person of the world, the new English, new Polish, new Hebrew, and eventually was nominated as the head of the Irgun. And his first command was, let's start rebel against the British. Why? Because he thought that at that time, it was clear that the British and the West are going to win over the Nazis. And as long as the borders of Palestine were closed for Jewish immigration, he said that if the British are not letting Jews, and not only Jews, Holocaust survivors, getting into the land of Israel, this in a way, if to be blunt, and Begin was very blunt in his rhetoric, made the British as some kind of equivalent to the Nazis. So we wanted to change the formula of not fighting the Nazis and not fighting the British as long as they're fighting the Nazis. And he said, we should start rebelling against the British. And this rebellion declaration, which he formulated on uh, January 44, was actually at the beginning of a major chapter in the history of the Irgun, the chapter of the rebellion against the British. And then at one point, this rebellion against the British escalated the aggression or tension between Mapai, and uh, it wasn't Mapai at that time, but between the socialist Zionist fraction led by uh, Ben-Gurion and the revisionist section, which was led by Begin, and led to the saison from French, of course, a short period of time, I would say that Ben-Gurion actually, under his leadership, gave information to the British so they could stop the Irgun and the Lehi, the smaller uh, brother, I would say, of uh, the Irgun, from working against the British. What was Begin's reaction to that? I mean, that was a really hard time in Israel. Yeah, yeah, you are absolutely right. By the way, Mapai was already there. Mapai was established on 1930. But right. you are correct mm-hmm. to claim that it wasn't Mapai itself that chased the Irgun. It was but the uh, Jewish agency in a way. Yeah, the Jewish agency and the Istadrut. They said if we, for a moment, try to adapt Ben Gurion's position, he claimed that Begin has no authority to drag the Yishuv into a war with the British because he's doing it without asking the consent of the Yeshuv. He also thought that it is wrong, because in the eyes of Ben-Gurion, we should expect that at the end of World War II, the British would help the Jews to establish their own state. So he saw Begin's rebellion against the British as something which is wrong, something which is very dangerous, so at the beginning, he sent Moshe Dayan to warn Begin to stop. Afterward, there was another meeting, but Begin refused to stop. So the authorities of the issue decided to go on what they called the Saison, 
a hunting season. It, right. As you said, it came from French. And it was not only to snitch on Begin and his uh, follower. It was actually, they chased them. They interrogated some of the Irgun people. They passed them to the British. And they tried to break the Irgun. Yeah. Begin took a very interesting uh, position vis-a-vis the season because on the one hand, he refused to stop. Yeah. He said, I will not surrender. We will continue with our operations against the British. On the other hand, he said, I will never go into a brethren war. A Jew will not fight a Jew. And this is why he asked from his people for restraint. They will chase us. We will not retaliate. Now, we should take into consideration that this was a very brave decision, not only from the moral point of view, but also because Begin was the new commander of the Irgun. And it is easier to start your tenure as the commander when you are aggressive against the British, because this is easier to recruit your people, to ignite them, and to say, let's fight the British. It is much harder to be a new commander of the Irgun and to tell your people, listen, we should suffer, we shouldn't retaliate. And if you read my book, I found that there was one important incident in which the people of the Irgun almost rebelled against Begin's order. They met and they told Begin, listen, we are going to retaliate. And Begin took a very brave and very, let's say, unique position. And he succeeded to convince them that any retaliation against the people of Palmach or the Agana who were chasing them will eventually put the entire Yeshuv into flame and will destroy the Yeshuv. And this would be the best result for the British. For the British, of course. Eventually, he succeeded to convince his people not to retaliate. And by the way, at the end of his life, he said that the most important decision that he had ever took was to convince his people not to retaliate against the people of Ben-Gurion. And I can say that it happened not once, but twice. Yeah. Because after the season and the small season that came in 47, if I remember correctly, he was challenged again by Ben-Gurion when uh, Altalena came to the shores of the new establishment. What did he do there? I mean, did he change his reactions or, you know, he reacted actually the same way? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Altalena, just like the Sezon, there are very complicated affairs. The Altalena actually was the ship that uh, the Irgun got in France. They loaded it with a lot of weaponry. And of course, Holocaust survivors, which were on the ship on the way to the shore of Israel. At the beginning, Begin asked the consent of Ben-Gurion. The ship arrived around June 48, which means that Israel was already a declared state. Begin asked the authorities of the defense minister, if it is okay to bring this ship, and by that we're going to get more warriors and more weaponry, of course. He got the green light, but the problem was that this ship arrived exactly when there was a ceasefire 
declared by the UN between Israel and the Arab states. So it should arrive in disguise because according to the ceasefire, you cannot acquire weaponry during the ceasefire. Then there was a complicated relationship between Begin and the branch of the Irgun in French and other branch of the Irgun in the state, which were more radical than Begin. And they put pressure on Begin to tell the new Israeli army that we are going to supply you with the weaponry, but we want that at least 25% of the weapons will go to Jerusalem. Because in Jerusalem, according to the partition, Jerusalem should not be part of the Israeli state. So the Irgun and the Haganah acted there, but not under the jurisdiction of Israel. And Begin want to send some of the weapons to Jerusalem. And then the people from the defense ministry said, no, we are a new state and you were an underground commander, but you should get used to the fact that now there is a state. So there is a law and you cannot ask to do whatever you like. You should obey the order. This dispute could have been solved in another atmosphere, but in the atmosphere that were on those days for Ben-Gurion, the Altalena was also an opportunity to show to the new citizens of the state that we have only one army, one rule, one law. So he said, the people of Ben-Gurion, the people of the defense ministry, told Begin, no way. You should obey our orders. You have 10 minutes to tell your people that the ship would be under the authority of the defense minister, and we will decide how to distribute the weapon. Then again, some of the Irgun headquarters pressed begging to take much more of a stern position vis-a-vis the authorities of Israel, and eventually clashes broke out between the people of the Irgun and the new soldiers of the IDF. One of them, under the order of Ben-Gurion, bombed the ship. In reality, most of the Holocaust survivors who were on the ship were already out of the ship on the shore of Tel Aviv. But most of the weapons sank to the sea. And there were clashes. It was a minor brothering war. We should admit it. I don't recall the exact number, but something like 16 people of the Etzel were killed. And I think uh, three Israeli soldiers were killed. But when Begin realized that it can pave the way for a real war between the Jews of the Irgun and the Jews of the IDF, he told these people again, don't retaliate. Even though they bombed the ship, even though in his eyes, and obviously also in my point of view, this affair could have been sort of totally different. Yeah? Begin said, even though they harmed us, we wouldn't retaliate. And again, it was a very important decision because some of the people of the Irgun told Begin directly, we are going to take weapons and to assassinate Ben-Gurion. They killed our people. But Begin insisted not going to a brother in war. 
Although from the other aspect, we should take into account that Begin didn't obey the order of the government. So he's not entirely, you know, the good guy and Ben-Gurion is the bad guy. It's a complicated affair. But I think that the lesson that was drawn by this affair was very important for the future of Israel because in each and every time in which the Israeli government decided to retreat or to give up territories like in Sinai or in Gaza, the Israeli society was close to a brother-in war. The lesson that Begin drawn that we should never go into a brother-in war was implied on the situation. And I think that by that we should thank Begin. It was amazing story. I mean, the bad blood between uh, Ben-Gurion and Begin remained, I mean, for ages. I mean, after, you know, we're going to go now to his political career, of course, because when Israel was finally established, he was leading from the Irgun. He actually formed Cherut. Cherut means freedom, of course. And that was the revisionist party in Israeli politics. Did he remain more, uh, I would say, moderate in his approach as the Cherut leader? I think that Begin's uniqueness was that you cannot talk about him as a moderate or as an extreme. He had a mixture of position. For example, the first, first and the second election, Cherut failed. And many blamed the failure on Begin because he insisted that we should expand the borders of Israel. The people were tired. Yeah, it was after the war of independence and they just want to live their life and the economical situation was very dire. So when Begin talked about the need to expand the borders and to go to another war, he was perceived as a very extreme person. Well, we need to remind our audience, by the way, that in the independence war, the young establishment actually lost 1% of its population in this war. I mean, we had more than 6,000 people died out of a 600 people population. So it left its mark on the young state. Absolutely. And this is why Begin's call for another war were perceived as, you know, crazy or very extreme. But on the other end, if you look at the positions of Begin with respect to domestic issues, he was very liberal. Yeah, he fought, uh, I mean, legally. Yeah, he was already a member of Knesset. He demanded uh, much more civil rights to the citizens of Israel. He even uh, went against the military role, which Ben-Gurion decided to establish upon the Arab citizens of Israel. Begin said it's not democratic to put them under military role. So his position was a mixture between radicalism with respect to the land of Israel to liberalism with respect to how should we live in the state of Israel. I think Obviously extreme, I mean, if you are not uh, someone who believes in the greater Israel, yeah, we should take it into account because most of the Israeli history were written by leftist historians. So when they describe Begin as an extremist, we should also take into account that this is from their point of view, because from Begin's point of view, to strive and to continue the quest for the greater Israel was not something which should be depicted as an extreme. 
So on, on one hand, he was a strong supporter of uh, civil rights, and he was also a strong supporter of the Israeli courts, of the Supreme Court. On the other hand, when we're talking extremists, let's uh, talk a little bit about the reparations agreement, you know, with the German uh, government in 1952. Some people thought that he's going to rebel on this against the Israeli government. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great and uh, important issue with respect to Begin's biography, because as I said, in the two first elections, Herut failed. They got 14 seats in the first election and only eight in the second election. And Begin expected much better results. And as we said, one of the explanations for the failure of Herut was that he insisted on going to another war or speaking only about the expansion of the territory. After the second election, Begin was very sensitive to criticism. And he was criticized by his own followers that he took a wrong approach. And because of you, we lost the election. So Begin was the honorable person. He said, okay, if I'm the problem, I'm going to quit. He was absent from Israel for a month. It is still unknown where exactly he went. According to his testimony, he went to Italy for a vacation. According to other testimonies, he went to a sanatorium, which is like a place in which you mentally relax. And he said, I'm going to be a lawyer. I want to study and to live politics. I lost in the two elections. I contributed to the people of Israel while I was head of the Irgun. And I want to be a private citizen. And he was almost replaced as the head of Herut. And then someone called him and told him, listen, there is amazing news. Israel is going to get the reparation from West Germany. And Begin was furious. He said that we should never negotiate with the German. He was ready to accept the reparation, but not through negotiation. Because he said this is the first step to reconciliation. So the Knesset debated this reparation agreement. Begin came back to the center of the Israeli politics. And it was a very important moment for him because it was the first time in which he represented an idea which was not associated only with the right wing. Because being against the reparation agreement was something that was shared by leftists, by religious, by the way, by many of the Mizrahim not only the Ashkenazim and obviously the Holocaust survivors, yeah. And Begin took a very, very stern position against the repression agreement. He led many demonstrations all over the state against it. His main claim was that it is outrageous to take money from the Germans by negotiation because by that you are actually giving legitimacy to the German government. We should remember that we are talking about the reparation agreement was introduced to the Knesset on early 52, 52. late 51. So we are talking about uh, six, seven years after the Holocaust. It was still a bleeding wound. And we should remember that Pagan's father Begin's brother and Begin's mother, 
were murdered directly by the Nazis, so it was also personal for Begi. And he said uh, in his speeches, he gave many explanations, very convincing explanations to be against this agreement. He said that uh, actually this is the fulfillment of the most anti-Semitic stereotype on the Jews. We were murdered, but we are ready to reconcile if we are getting back. He also said that Ben-Gurion and the Knesset cannot take this decision without asking the entire Jewish people. He also asked the Arab member of Knesset not to be part of the vote, because he said, this is, I'm sorry, I know that in a democracy, each and every member of parliament could and should vote, but this is a very internal Jewish issue. At one case, he even threatened Ben-Gurion and the state to go back to an underground, to establish another underground militia, and to fight the state. And uh, he talked uh, and told Ben-Gurion, this is a blasphemy. You are going against the roots of Judaism, because the Germans are still Amalek. He used many religious metaphors. Eventually, Ben-Gurion won this vote, and the Knesset approved the continuation of the negotiation for the reparation agreement. And still, when I'm teaching this issue, and when we read Begin's speeches, it's very captivating. Yeah? I also remember when I wrote the book, I had a girlfriend back then, I wrote it in a very young age, and uh, we dated exactly when I was writing this chapter. And I wanted to break up with her, and I used some of begging arguments from against the <laughs> reparation to tell her, I want to leave, I don't want to be here, I was really influenced by begging. But on hindsight, obviously we should remember that the money was needed, and begging was in the opposition, and Ben-Gurion was the prime minister. And I think that if it was vice versa, maybe begging was more let's say, open to the reparation agreement than he could be as an opposition leader. But I think that he was correct in his argument. I mean, we needed someone to object this reparation. It could have been uh, outrageous if Israel would accept the money from the Germans without debating it and without, you know, really fighting on what does it mean. And as you said, the money was needed because it was just the austerity era where Israel actually tripled the amount of its uh, people. We yeah. had almost 700,000 Jews who fled from the Arab states in 51 and 52. And the economic situation in Israel was really hard. So the debate went both ways, if we need the money or we don't need the money. But as you said, you know, since he was in the opposition, it allowed him to be less pragmatic in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But he was less pragmatic, but he remained the head of opposition for eight consecutive election terms. I think it's an amazing story to hear, especially when you're having so many rounds of election in Israel and every time you have somebody else, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. How was he as a leader of the opposition? And eventually, I would say... How was he able to get into power? You know, we're short on time, so I want to get to this point, and then I want to touch, you know, a little bit about his last days as a public figure and uh, until he died. Yeah. So as you said, you throw a very big question, and we we can discuss it for hours. Yeah. 
because his days in the opposition were long and he proved himself to be more pragmatic than uh, people tend to understand him. I think his first step to power was really putting himself against uh, Ben-Gurion's position with respect to the reparation agreement, because even though he lost the vote, it was clear that Begin had more to say than just talking about the expansion of the borders. His arguments were also captivating. Yeah. Afterward, he, and we are jumping yeah, from the 50s to the 60s, he succeeded to merge Herut with the general Zionists, which was an uh, important uh, stage in his uh, developing uh, political career because once he went with the general Zionists, it portrayed Herut as much more of a central right party than extremist right party. Shortly before the Six-Day War, he was invited for the first time to the unity government. We need to take into account that once Ben-Gurion was replaced by Eshkol, the attitude of the government toward Begin has changed. Changed. Because Eshkol was much more of a, for reconciliation instead of Ben-Gurion, which was much more of I will educate you, I will direct you, I will tell you what you should do. And uh, Eshkol was much more lenient. And the Six-Day War really pushed Begin into the, let's say, consensus of the Israeli society, because if, until this war, his position vis-à-vis the borders were perceived as extreme, after the Six-Day War, when Israel conquered the exact territory that Begin was talking about so long before, it became the mainstream in the Israeli society that we should possess the territories. And uh, toward the 70s, Begin merged what is now Gachal, Gush, Herut, Liberalin, and established the Likud, which became like a populist, not in the bad sense of it, but a big populist party eventually surprised everyone when he established or uh, signed the first peace treaty with Egypt, which was based on the formula of giving territories for peace. In this case, I think that Begin knew how to utilize the Jewish religion in a very good way, because today the Jewish religion is associated mainly with the extremists, but the Jewish religion could serve us, you know, for both positions. You can take from it for right and for the left. And right. he explained it. He is ready to give up on the Sinai Peninsula because this is not part of the biblical land of Israel. So it was easier for him to give the Sinai Peninsula back to the Egyptian while convincing the right wing that this is a Jewish act. So you cannot be against it. But at that time, actually, we can also say that the orthodox power in politics was a lot smaller than it is today. And the settler movement of Gush Emunim at that time was a lot smaller also. So we had a lot less opposition than I think, for example, what Ariel Sharon had when he did the disengagement in 2005. Begin was, he was prime minister for two terms and then he retired. Why did he retire and where did he go? Because he was well, very popular. Yeah, yeah. This is an amazing story. Actually, when I was a child, Begin was already in seclusion in the 80s. 
And my main interest in begging was that people talked about him in my neighborhood in Hulon, where I grew up. They always said, I wish that Begin will appear. I wish that Begin will tell us what to do. And I didn't understand who is this guy that everyone is waiting just to see. And I think that the fact that Begin put himself in seclusion, it's very telling. It's amazing because it was actually like a Hasidic tzaddik, you know, that many of them ended their life in seclusion. And it was partially an act of I'm taking responsibility for the failure of the First Lebanon War. By the way, the First Lebanon War was not only a failure, there was also a great achievement, think about it, to expel 15,000 PLO people from Beirut and to send them to Tunisia. It was a great achievement. The problem was that they didn't... They didn't live quietly. Yeah, no, that Israel wanted more and more because I think yeah. that if after the expulsion of the Palestinians, the PLO, sorry, from Beirut to Tunisia, Israel would have uh, withdrawn, it could have been the great achievement of Begin's government. But obviously, as we all know, Israel remained in Lebanon and became a mess, and Israel uh, eventually retreated only in 2001 from Lebanon. Yeah. So Begin took responsibility and said he took responsibility in the most sincere way, not just saying I'm responsible, yeah? He really punished himself. And other reason was that his wife, Aliza, passed away a few months before his uh, resignation. It was hard for him. They were really a power couple. They were really romantic. It was very hard for him to live without them. We should also take into account that on 83, when Begin retired... It was really uh, sick. Back, uh, yeah. Back then, it was, you know, not common to talk about the condition of the prime minister, but he suffered from a stroke, from a heart attack, so he became sick. We should also go back to the beginning. Begin was a sensitive guy. When he was criticized, he tended to say, okay, if you are so much against me, so I will go home. He did it in the 50s, and he did it also in the 80s. And he's supposed to write his own autobiography, but he failed to do it. But it is amazing to think about a person like Begin, who were known for his big, uh, great speeches and uh, great deeds, uh, ending his life in a seclusion. It's something that if you put it in uh, comparison to the current leaderships of Israel, I can't imagine any of them uh, punishing themselves for being in seclusion and staying in their apartment. And yes, his end was like the beginning, something which is bigger than the ordinary life of most people. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And Avi, I really want to thank you for joining us today. I think it was a really interesting conversation and we learned a lot about uh, the late Prime Minister Menachem Begin. So I really want to thank you for that. And I will say, by the way, that we didn't discuss his terms in power, the first and the second Likud government, because we're going to have a special episode about that, about the Mahapach later on. So really thank you for bringing all of this information to us, Avi. Thank you, Kobe. It was a pleasure. And uh, you are doing an important job, wanting to hear it. Obviously, we've covered only the 
main issues of his biography, but Begin is someone who is worth discussing much, much, much more. And it's good to discuss him because I think, just to conclude, that if you think about the most, as someone who wrote about Ben-Gurion also, the most influential figure, most instrumental figure, historical figure that we need in order to understand the current Israeli society is Begin. I, I definitely agree. I think that he was the one who made the shift, yeah. you know, or the division in a way between Israeli and Jewish. What are you are more? Are you Israeli yeah. or Jewish? And uh, we're, we're going to discuss it. We're going to find the time to speak about it also. Sure. Thank you, well, Kofi. Thank you very much. Thank you, Avi. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day. Thank you.